listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 50 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the movie podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Hassan Godwin, and Latham Conger III. Our guest tonight is an award-winning film director, playwright, novelist, screenwriter, and musician who has created drama, dramas, really, unless he actually did create drama, for the BBC, <laughs> Sci-Fi Channel, and NPR. And if he did create drama for those three companies i would love to hear about that mostly focused why, on why weren't we invited that's right we, we love to help create drama mostly focused on the horror genre do a search for his work on amazon and put simply the volume of his work should keep you busy for a while as a musician he's released he has released dozens of records from pop to noise to film soundtracks and is the founder of phantom soundtracks a company that releases soundtracks to non-existent films which remind, I, first of all, I love that, and I, I can't wait to hear more about that, uh, including the award-winning score for Chrysalis, a.k.a. Battle Apocalypse, which is actually an existent film, so kind of a, a duality there. Darren Callahan, welcome to Cinemental. Thank you for having me be here. I, uh, I, I love the idea of the, of, the, of the Phantom soundtracks, creating soundtracks for films that don't exist. I, I, I really like that. It's like the... Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that was like a cool art project about 10 years ago. I had the idea basically at a bar talking to another person about it. And uh, there was a soundtrack out at that time called Logan's Run 2 that was a fake uh, sequel sure. to Logan's Run. And I thought that was so cool. You can see what the movie's like by the song titles and the artwork, but it's, there's no actual movie. So I uh, started the company and we released uh, half a dozen soundtracks. I, I, was, I composed a few of them. Other composers I liked uh, did scores for it, uh, but it never really sold. I, did, I realized that people don't care about movies that they don't know. I mean, we didn't even hook it to like a Logan's Run 2. It was a totally unique brand, but we did a slasher film and a sci-fi film and a mystery and and um, uh, things like that. But it, it, they didn't sell more than a, a couple thousand copies each, so I eventually made the label a real soundtrack label, so that's why Battle Apocalypse is, <laughs> is a real soundtrack, and, and uh, since then, a, a few others have come out on it. Uh, but, you know, we probably it never was a great money-making venture, but thank you for asking about it. I, uh, I, so I, I, one of the things that I, that I publish is art books based on, uh, pop culture IP. And, uh, so one of our, we have all artists kind of send in artwork for like, we'll give them, for example, right now we're doing, we're collecting art for a book based on John Carpenter's Halloween, the original. And so, you know, we've got artists who are sending in artwork doing, there was inspired by or based on, and they're doing their own versions of movie posters and whatnot. Um, our first project was for The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing. And one of our artists named Stephen Romano uh, did something actually similar in, in concept to this. 
and he had done this himself year, uh, several years ago. It was a book called Shock Festival. I love that book. Oh, okay. So yeah, you know about it. So basically what he did for the other two guys on here on, on, on the show here, what he did was he created movie posters for over 200 like grindhouse style 70s and 80s movies that don't exist. He just created the movie posters for them. I, I, that was actually a big inspiration on Phantom Soundtracks. We created the posters of these non-existent movies and sometimes in the style of that book. Yeah, know, so. that's, that's really funny. Yeah, that's, that, that book's a lot of fun. He actually reached out to us about, about redoing or doing a new printing of it. But um, it's, you know, so something is sort of in flux with him. So, but that's, uh, that, that kind of reminds me, it's funny that, uh, that, you, that you know all about that. So. Oh, yeah. So uh, let's suffer from consumption. So I have to admit, this is a, you know, I'm going to say slow week and Hassan's going to laugh, but it actually is a slow week for me. Uh, I watched uh, two seasons of a show called Legends with Sean Bean. Uh, and it was, uh, I can't remember what channel it was originally on, TNT maybe. But uh, he was basically a super spy with uh, who kept assuming different identities and going onto these missions and whatnot. Uh, and he didn't die in each episode, which was good. And uh, and I started making my way through Hannibal. Uh, and so we're not quite done with season two of Hannibal, which has been kind of amazing. And I'm hoping it's wait. Okay. You're guaranteeing me that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be happy. I don't with know. Season I, don't, two. I don't know. I think I think you'll be fine. I'm just I'm just waiting for it. That's okay. all. Right. I, I think you'll be all right. It'll it'll be it'll be this week. It'll be probably sometime this week we get through the rest of it. But um, and uh, and I watched Mank on Friday because I couldn't wait to not watch a new Fincher film. So, uh, did anybody else watch it? I did not. Wow. Uh, what's that, Darren? It's in my queue. I oh, okay. Uh, it. Wow, you guys, a new Fincher film sitting right there in front of you and you don't watch it. I'm surprised. I've never Maybe seen we're not Fincher in... files. Yeah, you are. You are. I like him. I love his work, but I'm, I, you know. Uh, I can't this wait movie to, I, doesn't excite me, but I, I'm sure I'll watch it. And, and it did, did it, does it not excite you in the way that uh, before you saw it, the social network didn't excite you? Uh, no, I really wanted to see the social network. I would say, I'm trying to think of something to compare it to. I just, the subject matter just doesn't seem that interesting to me, but there's plenty of movies I've said that and then loved them. So, right. And, and especially in his hands. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's obviously a huge difference. Uh, his worst movie is a, is still a, probably a pretty good movie. So it is. So yeah, that's, um, that's, pretty much I think other than the films we're going to cover today that is pretty much oh you know what I did a rewatch of uh, I was up working on Saturday morning and I watched um, GoldenEye again because I, I hadn't recently s- watched that over the summer or uh, over the sometime in the fall too yeah, I hadn't seen it in a while and uh, and I have to say it's still it's still my favorite Pierce Brosnan James Bond film uh, with toys yeah, a great boys bo- with toys. Great Bond women. I love Famke Jansen. Uh, you know, Sean Bean. I mean, looking way younger than 
I remembered him looking in that movie. But yeah, that's just that was a lot of fun. It was a long time ago that movie. I mean, I don't mean 90, I don't mean it. Ninety three. Yeah, I mean it negatively. Yeah, that so was got, like the new. That was a Daniel Craig new beginning for Bond before the Daniel Craig new beginning for Bond. Well, yeah, it was Pierce. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan, and it's yeah, it holds but, up. Uh, I think fairly well. The action sequences are great, and you know, it's it's a fun movie. It's it's a good Bond movie. Yeah, and the you know the the sort of the sort of silliness that has become kind of inherent with bond movies, this, the small, the little kind of jokey one-liner kind of stuff isn't as obnoxious, bad. I was going to say in this one, as it has sometimes reared its head in other things. So do you think it's, it's, it's written better or that Brosnan just delivers it better? That's a good question. I would say it's actually probably written better. I didn't, the, the actual jokes themselves didn't, didn't bother me anywhere near as much as uh, even stuff in the later Brosnan run. You know, I don't know other films that that same writer did, but I, I would say it's probably written. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a while. I, have to, I do have to watch it again. I do remember enjoying, I rem- I enjoyed all of his movies, which with the exception of the Denise Richard one, which one was that? Um, the world is not enough. The world is not enough. Is Come that, on. Yeah. How, how do you not like a girl with the name Christmas Jones? <laughs> Come on. I mean, Especially he, Dr. He that, Christmas Jones. He had that character name for the last line of the movie, which is yeah. uh, fairly ridiculous. <laughs> it's a Bond movie, so you can get away with it, I guess. I'm not coming with you on that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not. Okay. All right. I'm All right. Packing my bags and I'm going home. What'd you watch, son? I wrote it down this time. Oh, good for you. Forget. I watched the uh, the Musketeers again because I found I was on uh, Amazon. Okay. So there's a TV show, BBC uh, television show, The Musketeers. Went three seasons. Fantastic. Also has a great series finale. But oh. We didn't get a chance to get to that tonight. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Oh boy. <laughs> There's a trial four, which is a documentary on Netflix, which is fantastic. Um, Trial like trial four. Yeah. It's about this. It's about the fourth trial of this guy who is accused of uh, uh, murdering a cop. Okay. Then there is the, the innocent man, which is another documentary. It was actually on the Netflix queue. And while I was working, it just cycled over to uh, the innocent man. Which was it? Which is that uh, based on Grisham's book? Yeah. Okay. It, and he's in it. He's in the documentary. Oh. But only briefly. He's not. It's it's not a, a long term uh, uh, rendition from him. But okay. he just talks about what, what compelled him to write the book. You know, it's pretty much his only f- his only nonfiction book, according to him, at the time. Right. Um, I watched. Uh, <laughs> I cycled through most of. Do you ever hear the show Strike? It's no. a BBC for, uh, about Cormoran Strike. It's uh, J.K. Rowling's other books. Oh, he wrote under a pseudonym, and they they right. made it into a BBC television show. It's about a private detective. So I watched. I, just, most I, of I that. had no idea they had made any of those into a TV show. Yeah, they're pretty good. You know, um, they're they're enjoyable. I I like them. Uh, Tom Burke plays Strike, and he's actually pretty good. It was a Tom Burke week because uh, he's also in Musketeers. I don't know how that happened. It was it it, it wasn't. I didn't do that intentionally. Um, 
And uh, I watched these two movies today okay. that we're going to talk about. And uh, no other movies? I don't think so. Wow. I don't think all, I watched any movies. All, all um, TV. Look at you. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of television, though. Yeah, well, that is. There's, and there's a lot of movie. There's a lot of television on in the background while I'm while I'm doing something else. So, yeah. You know, pretty much primarily. But I had to write those down. Oh, I also um, another. It was after right after Innocent Man. It cycled over to uh, to some some other documentary called Falsely Accused or False Confession about people who are coerced into giving confessions to the cops. Okay. Is it a and series or a, a Yeah, movie? it's a series, a Netflix okay. series. I think there's two seasons of it. What's actually ironic is that some of those people really seem to have done it to me. <laughs> so it was <laughs> like... <laughs> probably did. Yeah, it was like one or two. I was like, wow, okay, that's, that's a raw deal. But some of the others like, oh, come on, man. How do you expect the cops not to... <laughs> how do you expect to not walk to walk out of there without handcuffs on man and there's a lot of people who are just coerced into confessing that's the whole phenomenon of confessing right oh yeah just to just to get out of the room right you know well, you're 18 so or 20 hours of non-stop questioning of the same things over and over again you're finally just like it's there's a whole psychological thing that you get into where it's just like you're willing to do anything like you said just to get out of the situation yeah. at, at a certain point and ironically, everybody pretty much has said the same thing. They just wanted to go home. They were surprised when they were detained after they confessed to murdering yeah. someone. Right. You know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. wow, it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, it was, it's, it's kind of a, I don't know. I think um, since I was in elementary school, you know, my, my parents and mostly my mother and my grandmother were like, Look, if you didn't do something, don't tell anybody you did something. You know, if you, if you didn't do it, no matter what they promise you, don't don't admit that you did yeah. it because then that's <laughs> it. You know, so I'm just watching all this stuff with fascination because you know you do have the you do have the the virtue of your innocence if you're smart in in a in that and situation. you're innocent, huh? And well, that's what innocent. I'm saying. Yeah, you have the virtue of you being innocent. If they're if they're really pressing you, you're like, look, I didn't do anything, and there's no way you can prove that I did anything because I know for a fact I didn't do anything. Now, it's it's never that cut and dry, but once you tell them you did something, it doesn't matter whether you didn't do it. You know, you, you, they, your confession is what condemns you. So it's just kind of fascinating to see people push to that to that brink. Although, like I said, if you watch the series, there's like at least three or four of them. That, yeah, no, no, this guy did it. <laughs> I, don't care, I don't care what anybody says. So, <laughs> so the 18 hours it takes to get him to the breaking point, totally worth it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we will get into Darren's films. So Darren's uh, main film choice tonight is Shivers. If you think you're not afraid of the dark. <laughs> if you think... You have a strong stomach. If you feel nothing can shock you. If you say you don't scare easily. If you believe you've seen everything. Then prepare yourself for a motion picture that takes you beyond fear. Beyond the power of priest or science to exercise. What are they? 
They possess men, women, and children, and drive them to acts of unbelievable horror. No power on earth can stop them. The only escape is death. If this picture doesn't make you scream and squirm, you'd better see a psychiatrist. Quick. From 1975, directed by David Cronenberg, at a running time of 87 minutes, a parasite originally designed to replace human organs is modified to cause unbridled lust, accidentally let loose in an upscale apartment complex, mayhem ensues, mostly with less and less clothing. Darren, talk to me about Shivers. So I got a little nervous when uh, this, uh, these, this double feature was chosen because you're going to think I have a lot of hang-ups. <laughs> It's not really true. I'm pretty vanilla, but uh, the uh, Shivers is, hopefully you like it. We could talk through it uh, in great detail in a moment, but uh, uh, something weird about Shivers in my life and then having seen it and and validating what I think of it uh, was really an interesting experience for me. I had seen a lot of Cronenberg movies. I had a lot of respect for him, but Shivers was not available on DVD. Uh, for a very long time. There were some VHS copies, but it was very, very hard to find. And of course, based on its content, you could never see it on regular television (laughs) and cable. I don't even know if they showed it. But um, there's no way to edit around what's going on in that. It'd be 40 minutes long, right. The only thing I really experienced from it was in Cronenberg books or magazine articles, they would have still photographs from it and sort of describe it. And I always thought, well, shit, now I don't want to see it because it sounds really interesting. And I'm afraid it's just a low budget uh, exploitation film. Um, So I actually didn't see it for a very long time. As a matter of fact, I, I wrote a movie in 2010, I think, 11, called Nerves. And what Nerves is, is my thought about what Shivers must be like without seeing Shivers. Wow. Um, and that, movie, that is kind of the first screenplay of mine that really got a ton of traction here in town. A lot of people uh, were excited about it. I got a lot of meetings. I met at Paramount and other studios to, to talk about it. I'm like, they're never going to make this because it's <laughs> so extreme, much like I thought Shivers would be. And, and uh, I was like, you know what? I better see Shivers now that this script has buzz so I can, Make sure I didn't inadvertently steal from Shivers. Um, through osmosis. And I, yeah, through just seeing these pictures or, or general understanding of the plot. Thankfully, there is almost no similarity, but there is uh, the tone. Something about the tone got through to me in just this experience. But now having seen the film, I really do think it's a work of art. I, I suggest it to anybody who's got sort of a... Um, the capacity to manage the content of it, uh, that it is, it's a valid film and a, an incredibly good first ish film for Cronenberg. He actually had two prior to that, but, uh, uh, this is his first real, uh, film film right. movie movie that, that people would enjoy. And, uh, the other two were art films. So this was the one that established him and became the template for the next four or five great films from him. And there's really, aside from some budget limitations and, and a little bit of off, kilter acting i consider it a legitimate work of art about something that's really um realistically portrayed even though it's so extreme and uh uh also at the same time it's just a kind of a kick-ass um body horror monster movie um (laughs) 
So I, I suggest it to people as a legitimate movie, not as a, a midnight uh, freak out sort of pink <laughs> kind of movie. But I can see the case for that other one, other type of movie being made. So if any of you came to it with that, I won't judge you. I can, I can see that. So. <laughs> That's my story. Actually. I uh, I myself am a, a huge Cronenberg fan. Uh, have been for, uh, let's see, I don't even know the first, I think probably the first thing of his I saw in a movie theater was probably, probably Dead Zone. It was probably Dead Zone for me too. Just because I think anything before that, I probably would not have been old enough to make my way into. I saw Scanners on HBO. Uh, same here. Same here. I saw scanners on on cable, uh, but I I would have no, I would I would not have known that it was the same director. I would I would not have made at the time. I would have known I would have known because I was a big uh, a special effects guy. So I and I would find out about all the horror stuff, and I would have known because of that. But uh, just going into it that way, I would not have necessarily made that connection. Uh, but I was a big Cronenberg fan going back once I once I started really learning about filmmakers and stuff like that. I was a uh, uh, I've made my way as, as we discussed earlier, I've made my way of his 21 features. I've probably seen 17 of them. There may have been a, we had, I just recently saw the brood. Finally. Um, that was one that had not had, had escaped me for a long time. I, I love the brood. I think that's one of his best. Um, I really think it's really well constructed and, and those monsters in that one are creepy as hell. Oh, well that, and it's just like the, 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 the last sort of big reveal of the woman that you're just are so not even expecting in any way, shape or form. And you're like, wait, wait, what, what, you know, even for the time, you know, you're just like, I can't even imagine like a movie coming out. And it was that brood was what? 79. I can't even imagine like what film audiences would have was expected when, when that reveal was done, they just would have been like, what? Yeah. Brood is weird. Cause it's like, it's like shivers or rabid, except it's like a bit, slicker and a bit more like um dramatic yes um well, you got oliver reed for crying out loud yeah but it's still it's still really shocking uh, that murder of the teacher yep. in, in the brood is, is completely um uh and the murder of the grandma is so extreme uh for a, a movie that's otherwise classic yeah it's funny watching Cr- the cronenberg's films sequentially as you start you know, from, from shivers, once you start even, even to rabbit, I mean, you see the logical progression of his ability, not only as a director, but also in the quality of his filmmaking as well. Uh, you know, I'm not, not necessarily just due to him actually getting money to make some of these movies, but you know, you can see where he actually grew a lot in those films from film to film, especially in the first four or five. Um, and then by the time he really hit his stride with like, you know, Videodrome and the fly and, you know, that stuff, you're just like uh, blown away, but we're not talking about those. We're talking about shivers. And uh, I had not seen shivers coming in. So uh, this was uh, a a welcome, a welcome addition to the list. It was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, I, uh, I don't know what I was expecting. Uh, I think I was expecting probably, I think I was probably expecting it to be a little bit more polished than it was even for a, a first feature from him. Uh, but it's very much of the era that it came out in. It feels like a film, uh, like a horror film from the seventies, which is, you know, again, I, you know, that's fine. Uh, we've, we've had the, the argument on this show multiple times uh, with different guests about how films, you know, should be viewed in the time of when they came out versus, in the time that you see them. And I, you know, we go back and forth with 
kind of the weight of that. I'm all, I'm always of the mind that a good movie is a good movie. Whenever it is shown, it doesn't matter when it came out. If it's a great movie, it's a great movie. It doesn't matter if it was made in the forties or if it was made in the nineties. But, uh, but yeah, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I enjoyed watching it as, as a Cronenberg film I hadn't seen. I don't know. I don't know how much I would recommend it to people just cold to people who either weren't Cronenberg fans or, you know, weren't hungry for this era of horror filmmaking. You know, like you said, it's, 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 it's fine. It's just kind of funny that, that the direction that it ended up taking was, you know, you know, with the whole thing kind of ending up with a bunch of naked people in a swimming pool. It was, uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's funny because there's a movie that I don't want to say with a similar, a similar path, but there's a, there's a movie that we brought up on our 30 films list that I, that I brought up as the only film that made me lose sleep, which was a, a Japanese film called <laughs> naked blood, which was about a, um, a scientist whose son develops a serum, which flip flops the pain and pleasure centers in the brain so that these three girls end up inflicting all this pain upon themselves in order to get pleasure out of it. So there's a lot of, you know, there's a, there's an elevation of nudity as you go through this in the same, in the same vein that, that shivers is. Um, There's a great quote from David Cronenberg. I found when I was doing digging into the background of this, that he says that he's surprised. He's always surprised that people don't understand that his films are mostly secret comedies and that people don't understand that about his filmmaking and they, that they take them far too seriously, which, which I thought was a great quote because, and especially some of his early films, I can, I can kind of see what he's talking about in a, in a weird way, especially for someone who, uh, for someone who's a big horror fan and is not just going to take nudity and blood and guts thrown at me for what it is and just be like, Oh no, you know, you can, you can, you can kind of look past that stuff. Cause that's, that's in all those movies, you know? The other fun thing about watching this was the fact that, you know, it being a Canadian production, that um, it was produced by Ivan Reitman. And, uh, and it was also the music producer on it because uh, they couldn't afford to pay for a score. So it was all music that, uh, that they just kind of found and dropped in. <laughs> so. Right. It's, um, uh, it's got an unusual score. And then it wasn't until later that he started working with Howard Shore right. and, and, and he with some great short scores so the score is sort of absent but it's 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 uh adds to it but it's not exactly like i wouldn't pull that as a great even a sound library score it's it's very minimal and it's just drones uh, but it's yeah i didn't weird. i didn't find anything that they had done distracting or or you know detracting from the film itself i didn't think that anything that, that he managed to put together Re- necessarily reinforced anything that was going on, but it also didn't pull you out of anything. So, I mean, he obviously, you know, did, did a fine job with that kind of stuff. You know, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to read uh, just a quick quote. Sure. I have this Cronenberg book in front of me here, which is, I think, something I like about the movie, which is, uh, this is from Cronenberg, the very purpose was to show the unshowable. I was creating certain things that there's no way of suggesting because it is not common in the imagination to even know those things. It has to be shown or else you just don't do it. I like to say during the course of the film, I'm going to show you something that you're not going to believe because it'll be so outrageous or ridiculous or bizarre, but I'm going to make it very real. I'm going to show it to you as if it, this bizarre thing is real. Yeah, that's... And I think that's what I, I like about it um, because the things you're seeing are like secret comedy, like, uh, well, I, I've seen Shivers with an audience since then. It played at a film fest, and, and uh, uh, David Cronenberg actually came 
to the film fest. It was one day here in LA, they showed Shivers, Rabid, The Brood, and Scanners in video. Wow. And then um, uh, Cronenberg showed up, and so did Michael Ironside from, from nice. Scanners. And, um, you know, when Shivers was on, it was PAX. This is the Egyptian and big theater, completely sure. full. And uh, there were several scenes that people laughed at. When I see it by myself on DVD, I'm like, that was... I guess that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I'm like, I, like everyone laughed at the contact scene, the the scene where the where Susan Petrie uh, is basically right. being coerced or forced into sex by her uh, infected husband, and she's she's crying and she doesn't want to do it, and she knows he's sick. She's like, "Let me just go put my contacts in. I do want to be able to see you when we make love." And she goes to the bathroom, shuts the doors, putting in the contacts, and starts crying horribly. And I was like, "This is actually a really, really powerful dramatic scene that she's just buying." Time to figure out what the hell to do and yet she's still trying to put in her contacts and, and failing and but everyone was laughing at that i'm like boy what how am i not interpreting this correctly <laughs> i guess it is kind of funny that she's fumbling with her contacts while this dramatic thing is going on but i looked at her inner character and they were looking at her outward behavior yeah that's like a that. that's actually a great quote from Cronenberg because i mean that 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 fits so much into you can apply that quote to so many of his films. I mean, even, even as far forward as like, you know, films like Eastern promises where, you know, that, 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 uh, that spa bat fight scene with Vigo Mortensen is just, you know, he's getting an actor just to go way beyond a boundary that you would expect and showing you something that, you know, I mean, that fights, that's a brutal fight scene. And, you know, and that's just, that's, you know, for, for a film, that's not a horror film and not a gore fest or anything like that. Um, you know, that and History of Violence both has has scenes like that. Not naked, you know, Viggo Mortensen fighting guys, but, you know, you get the idea. Latham, what'd you think? Uh, well, the interesting thing I didn't realize is that I had seen more of his films than I thought I had. I thought I'd only <laughs> seen like four or five, but I've, I've, after counting, I've seen 10. And I think you can already, I mean, I haven't seen the, the two previous to this. What were they, Darren? Uh, Stereo and... Um, Crimes of the Future. Right, right. I haven't seen those, but it seemed, you know, right off the bat, his director's signature is there. I mean, I felt it, even though it was rough a lot of the time, I, I felt that I was watching a Cronenberg film. And I've seen his movies at different times. I've never, like, binge-watched Cronenberg or, or been like, oh, this guy's great, I want to see him all. I've just seen him at different times, but I always remember what his directorial style was like, and I, I felt it here. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I, I probably for the reason that I, I like the fact that he's just going for everything he wants to kind of like what you, what you just spoke about. He, he wants to show you things that are really difficult to portray as realistic or as really happening. But, and this is like his third feature, but he's, he's bringing it here. And, and, you know, at times, you know, what are we going to talk about when we're talking about the little slug here? I mean, it's it, at times it's bothersome to me, but not so much that it takes me out of the film, if that makes any sense. And uh, I looked up some stuff too. And he said, uh, Kornberg said something about, he wish he, you know, it would have been nice to have CG for the film, but he says for the time that that was enough to give what he wanted to with the film. And, you know, right. that's a good point. And the same point Steve brought up about seeing a film with its context of, you know, the year it came out. And 
you know, it, it feels like a seventies film for sure. Um, the other half of that quote was really funny too, which was, he goes, I'm not George Lucas. I'm not going to go back and take out the strings and the wires or, or any of that. He goes, it is what it is. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I like that. I like that too. Um, that what's the, uh, what's the actor who plays Roger? Um, uh, the lead, the lead guy. Yeah, uh, he's uh, he's an interesting guy. We can talk more about him after you guys all weigh in. But Paul Hampton is the doctor. There you go. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I let I, he's got to carry this, and uh, I think he, you know, I think he does a good job. And I don't, I again, it's it's kind of hard. It, the the thing with Cronenberg films, and I apparently, or I, I think it gets easier to take as he progresses as a director. I mean, when you get to the fly, he's already, you know, producing what I think is his best film. And, and it's, it's totally nuts what's happening, but you never don't buy it. And for this, you need your actors to come through. And there's a little, like Darren said, there's a little bit of questionable acting at times, but I, I think this guy holds, at least for me, holds the movie together. And along with all the craziness that's going around and the ideas and the, the story behind it. Yeah. I don't, it's kind of hard for me to put my finger on it, but my, my soul likes this movie. I, I like the fact that it's, <laughs> that it's as crazy and nuts as it is. And the things I don't like about it, I don't really care to even expound on because I, I think it's, I, you know, like Darren says, it's a piece of art. I don't know if, I, you know, it's a piece of art either way, but I don't know if I like it that much, but I, uh, I guess I'd call it charming in a way. I'm trying, it's hard to come up with the right adjective for this movie, but I, I, I did, uh, I did enjoy watching it. You know, uh, just cause you know, your friend is our guest does not mean you have to sugarcoat your review. True. Oh no, don't worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't worry. Okay. okay. Hassan? I still have another movie to talk about. So. How, how did you feel about Shivers, Hassan? You know, it's, it's, kind of tough to with horror movies in general you know what's important here <laughs> to remember is that our yes. guest picked Hassan, you can borrow yeah. my line if you want uh, yeah. <laughs> the important thing is that we're all together and that we're all enjoying <laughs> movies together no that's not the line hassan <laughs> no but just, that's hassan's I'm line making, that's just... hassan's line okay fair enough it's tough to with with horror movies since I'm not a horror aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. It's kind of tough to what what you what I find I do with these movies constantly is I don't take it at face value. I'm always kind of trying to look for what's being said or what you know what the purpose of each scene is and sometimes sometimes there's no purpose to to certain scenes other than you know, to get us from this scene to the next scene to the next scene. What stands out for you? What did you, uh, if you had to describe something in Shivers to somebody, what would be the first scene you'd be like, this thing happens? Probably the weirdest part was the, the doctor goes to the basement to, to find whatever the parasite is. The garbage chute. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he ends up being in the basement, right? They yeah. they threw it down the garbage chute. He ends up going down to the basement, which is kind of which turns out to be sort sort of adjacent to the to the garage. Yet, you know, whatever. He gets attacked by the janitor, I guess. Yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Now, is this thing is this thing sexually charged or is this thing violent? 
you know, because this guy is violently attacking, you know. So that's 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 one of the aspects of like sometimes it's violent and then sometimes it's well, I mean, even rape is violent. It's all violence, but sometimes it's like destructive violence and sometimes it's sexual violence. So that seems like all right, so which is legitimately unsettling in general like you go into the basement of you know one of these like industrial buildings and then you know the lower down in the building you get the the more the, the, <laughs> the more less sophisticated the the surroundings become yeah. and the more you know the more you're prone to run into some guy who you yeah. probably wouldn't want to run into in, in, a, in a setting like that when it comes to most buildings in new york city not going past the first basement i'm, I'm pretty much good there <laughs> yes and there's always more than one basement, you know, you in a lot of buildings funny. there are, yeah. and it's, and yeah. a lot of those haven't been touched in a really long yeah. time. Yeah, And it just gets worse and worse the you know, the, the lower you go. You know, you, you actually raise a really good point um, that I've thought about, which is kind of bearing out here with coronavirus, you know, everybody responds to a virus differently. So you've got a building on an Island an apartment for those who don't haven't seen the movie, the entire thing is set in one, like, maybe 10 store story, um, 250 person apartment building. Luxury. Um, yeah, the luxury apartment yeah. building, right? Yeah. And the apartment building happens to be a standalone on an island in Canada with a connected by a bridge to Toronto or Montreal or wherever. But um, it, uh, uh, you know, it's really isolated to the events of this island. And the parasite is first introduced here and starts to get into people in the apartment building and then slowly spreads uh, the behavior that the parasite is capable of generating. But I've noticed in, in multiple watches in the movie, because now I've probably seen it maybe, maybe 15, 20 times in, in the last 15 years, the, um, I, I've noticed that the, the females are reacting always differently from the males. And then the males are reacting slightly differently among themselves. So I kind of have a little theory in my head about the parasite's efficacy with males. And it does maybe with excite a sexual urge in them uh, because it's, it's drawn from these characteristics of uh, venereal disease. But I think it also creates some sort of violent madness. I mean, the main uh, guy we follow being infected who eventually has the big fight in the kitchen, um, he is uh, obviously not he's sexual but he's also extremely violent to himself and to his wife and to the guy who walks in the door uh, and i think that guard down below is the same way just like coronavirus i think it, it it's good that he didn't have it uniformly affect everyone the same way at the same rate it's sort of a more some of, of them were calculating some some of them were more yeah that was my theory anyway as on it could be told no it's a good one it it, <laughs> it it works because i mean look sexual violence and you know as um without without uh being derogatory about any of it sexual deviation which is not which i'm not actually wielding around that it's not a phrase and i'm 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 trying to use irresponsibly but it is it manifests in many different ways it doesn't it's not always just like you know it's not always about sex it's about a lot of things so that didn't really bother me too much. Psychologically, it didn't bother me too much. <clears throat> it's just there's certain things like sometimes the, the parasite burned. Sometimes I mean it's just like they're they're just kind of weird. Like okay, so what is you know what am I? I'm not gonna say I didn't like it because I never have I never have an experience with a movie where I like I well, no that's not true at all. Um, there are some <laughs> movies I've watched that I just don't like, but it's so it's very rare. It's so rare that it stands out when I watch something. I'm never watching this again because it's so. So I did not have 
I did not have have an, like an adverse negative uh, reaction to the film, but it 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 just was like I had a couple of moments like what am I watching like what's <laughs> what what's going on here and I guess I'm I'm outside of the loop because I'm not into I, first of all I'm not a horror um, uh, enthusiast and I'm certainly not a body horror enthusiast and this well. is. I, you yeah. know, me, I'm a horror enthusiast and I, uh, you know, I started off writing, uh, I really was into mysteries and thrillers. And then I, I would turn stuff into the agent uh, that I had at the time. And he's like, you know, whenever there's kind of a scary scene here, this is, you go, you go further than I would expect. It really is frightening. Um, you ever write any horror? And I'm like, no, but I like horror movies. And, but, but mo- mostly I'm known as a mystery guy. Um, he's like, you should write a horror movie, uh, a horror, horror novel. Um, and I said, okay, I'll think about it. And then at the same time, I had a play called Horror Academy uh, that I, I did for a festival uh, that got picked up and became a thing. And I, I realized the audience reactions were incredible. And I was like, there's a, hey, there's a tale to this horror stuff. Uh, people, <laughs> people really get into it here. So I, I just, I was like, just began to write more and more horror and, and, and work on horror films and horror scores and then became known as a horror guy over the last decade and a half. And I'm proud of that. I, I like it. But I absolutely don't judge anybody who says horror ain't my bag. You know, what I like about horror, uh, I think, aside from some atmosphere and some artistic creativity and things like that, I can watch any kind of graphic violence, but I don't really like to watch cruelty. I don't like to watch Saw or something, even though it's probably valid. I don't like to watch that kind of stuff. But, uh, but in terms of violence, that doesn't bother me. But essentially, you would think a film like Shivers would not be my cup of tea. Uh, but what I like about it is it goes against the things you do expect. For example you know, that old trope, every character must go through a change, you know, and, and there must be an epiphany at the end. There's not. I mean, basically this thing ravages the building and uh, uh, everyone's fucked. You know, that's, there's no big reveal aside from just the inevitability of it. Uh, and then the, the what if question at the end, if it spreads outside of um, the island. But it, it is, uh, uh, it's not depressing per se, but it is, it, it, it fights against your expectations. You think it's going left and it goes slightly right. Uh, you think this is going to happen in the basement and it doesn't fully happen. Instead, it leads to another thing. And I find in horror movies in general, you can get away with that shit and people will still follow you. Where if you did that in a comedy, sometimes, yes, you could get away with that. I don't mean to say that you can never get away with it, but you're more likely to be highly judged in those genres than you are in the horror genre. You can absolutely, you can literally get away with murder and horror, which is why I like it. Absolutely. There's, well, I mean, there's just I, a... I, I agree with that to the extent that when it comes to horror films, I think that that horror fans are far more forgiving when it comes to storytelling. That's what I would say. I would say you guys, you guys are lenient on. No, no, no. I understand. I understand your point. It's it's more about what you're willing to accept in lieu of all of the other stuff you're getting in a particular film or whatever you're, whatever you're consuming, you know, yeah. the, 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 the whole is more in part, more important than the actual different parts. So it's and like, it, you can, you don't have to, we don't have to have everything match up in, in right. most cases for us not to be satisfied with it. It, 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 um, and it just, it, it, it depends on who you are and what you're, you know, what you believe your, your, your suspension of disbelief, you know, where you, where you get off, you know, of, of the, of the merry-go-round. I remember having a, 
I remember having an argument with uh, with with Scott Klein, who was who was a guest on the show um, years ago. We were watching. Uh, uh, we had we he had recommended I watch uh, Funny Games, um, the remake, um, the American okay. version, the Funny Games, shot for shot remake. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I came back and I was like, whatever, it was all right. You yeah, know, and and he he's <laughs> you know he was he was you know. He, he had a reaction to it. He reacted to my reaction to it. He was like, "Oh, it's great, wasn't it? Wasn't horrific?" And I, and I said, "Look, the minute she let him in the house for eggs, <laughs> I wasn't interested anymore because that's the dumb. Like, I'm like, I would never do that, you know. Like, so I, I, I tend to react to things that I this would ne- this would have happened to me. I would have made this. I would have I would have done exactly this, and thus I would have probably been murdered." So whenever someone in a movie does something that's like, why wouldn't you, you know, why would why would you go upstairs? Hold on a second. Yeah. (laughs) And so then I'm out of it. Like I'm just, I'm just completely removed from it. So, so for instance, the contact lens scene, like, shouldn't you be going for the door? Because you've seen things moving inside the body of your husband, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So we're not talking about, he's just in a mood tonight. And you just have to put up with the mood. Something clearly is is is, is monstrously, you know, uh, affecting the internal organs of this man who's demanding sex. And you're like, I gotta go put my contact lenses on. And so then I'm watching her, and I can see the geography of the apartment. And so the door is this way, and the bathroom's this way, and she goes to the bathroom. So I'm like. I thought that was a clever ruse to get out of there. And then the next sequence. And so now I'm watching her. It's a completely different reaction than you had. Cause I'm watching her put her contacts on. And that's when I'm starting to laugh. I'm like, okay, you do know that there's a, there, there's literally Monsters. a shark, a dorsal fin <laughs> picking out of the chest of your husband, circling his, his navel, right? You've seen this. And you're like, let me put my con-. and like, okay, it's arguable that that she doesn't know because she didn't have her contact lenses in, right? I guess that's but, yeah. but she there's she knows something ain't right. Yeah. So you remember she's waiting on the doctor. The doctor's supposed to be there at nine o'clock, and it's eight thirty when he's pulling this. Yeah, but once you see things moving around in other people, that doctor yeah. ain't coming. You know that guy. That guy's hung up on some. There's obviously if he didn't come <laughs> running. When you when you sit when you describe the situation, then he's got troubles way bigger than whatever he's going to be able to do with his stethoscope. In, in... You you raise such a good point here, and I really want to talk about Paul Hampton because he okay he first of all I don't know this he seems like a stage actor who has been told don't go big go small but he's gone a little too small yeah yeah because he almost mumbles through the film. yes oh like, my god. Me and Deirdre were having so much fun about that when we were watching the movie because I kept going, eh, I'm just going to go over here and all that. I like that, yeah, though. I like that. <laughs> yeah. He's, at the same time, he's your hero. He's got sort of a weird comb over, but he's, uh, he's a good, he seems like a good it's guy. It's the 70s. And, I'll, I'll forgive it. You yeah. know. <laughs> he seems like he wants to solve this and he wants to help, and he's got some heroic qualities. Uh, but at the same time, he does have this sort of, kick your feet all shucks, very quiet thing that I thought 
okay, this is a choice he's making as an actor. And the first time I saw it, and I'm like, he's going to get bigger and bigger and panic and freak out. He never does. He stays at no. volume one. He stays one at that level, yeah. For the whole movie, which I think is, is at this <clears throat> I think he's trying to, as an actor, or maybe Cronenberg as a director, he's not that familiar with actors at this point in his career. He's trying to draw us in, but the way it's, it ended up cutting together. It's just a, a slightly dull hero. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I bet if I saw Paul Hampton in something else, which I never have, maybe he's pretty good. But in this film, it's he seems like he's trying something that is not paying off, whatever he's doing. And part of it, I think, undermines the script because the script has him actually doing things that that could be considered the smart thing to do. You know, he's not going into the room with the chainsaws when you know that there's a killer around. He's not that dumb, but in, he, he's like, I got to get a hold of the specimen. Okay, he's got a good motivation here. He's doing it, but but because of his demeanor, you kind of don't fully buy it, and that that has always bugged me. About you you you, you like kind of you kind of doubt his capability to handle well, he, the situation, yeah. you know. And then when he when he crowbar, I mean, the fight that he has with the janitor. It's so prolonged because that's pretty much the first thing you would have done was crown that guy with a crowbar. And it takes him, it takes him maybe five minutes longer than it should have for him to realize he was in some serious, it's the same with, um, with the nurse. She gets attacked. She's got a fork. It takes her such a long time to decide to use that fork to defend herself. And I'm 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 sitting there giggling. I'm like, you've you're you've literally you're holding a fork. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you've literally yeah, got I, a fork. And I the guy's intentions the are not ambiguous. You know, it's not it's not <laughs> like you know. So it's to me to me sometimes, especially with horror, and this is the this is kind of the unfair thing um, about horror movies that the unfair thing uh, um, of like people overanalyzing a horror film because there's a, it's just like a, it's just like a space opera. You know, the conceit is that you agree, you know, you believe that this fighter plane, uh, you know, this, this, you know, this ship, the size of a fighter plane is, is totally capable of, you know, going into light speed or whatever. And so you allow for that conceit, even though it's probably illogical. So it's the same aspect with, um, with horror genre, but, same with science fiction. Some people can't get over the hump and believe the fiction. I, I think sometimes for me, I the horror. I just can't get over the like. Why would you do that? Like, I've there, I've seen movies that legitimately have scared the hell out of me because everybody acted logically and they still all got murdered. You know, so some <laughs> of the some of the cuteness of 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 like you know of various classic horror films where. You want the, you know, the audience wants the, the character to make that classic mistake, you know, to slip at the last minute or to, you know, or to doubt, you know, that there's anything, you know, to do the Cassandra thing where they doubt, you know, they doubt all the logic that's being thrown at them until it's too late for them to get away. And a lot of, a lot of you guys, that's what you love about it. And so that's the bridge I can never traverse, you know? So that's, you know, I'm like, well, why would you, you know? And it's, it's, I, I respect it until someone asks me my opinion. And then that's, that's when you'll, that's when you'll get my opinion. <laughs> I've, often, I've often said this in panels, you know, um, horror is, it, it does somewhat require some depth of field to really know what you're watching. It's sort of like looking at, 
18th century specific painting, you know, okay, well now I realize what they're leaping off of and what they're doing here and what the uh, uh, reference is or what the, the plot represents or what Grimm's fairy tale is, is being shown here. You have more appreciation for it. Like for example, I'm a big fan now of a director named Mar Mario Bava. Um, and he's made a, a lot of Italian horror films. Sure. Uh, his, probably his biggest ones are Black Sabbath and um, um, maybe uh, Blood and Black Lace. Those are yeah. really good, really good flicks. So, but it took me a little while to get with them. And one of the things that convinced me was I was listening to directors' com uh, commentaries on his DVDs by Tim Lucas. And Tim Lucas would say, hey, this is a, a film about greed. I don't know if you noticed this, but the staircase you're looking at here is in the shape of a dollar sign. And that was built intentionally by Baba to show this and as a <laughs> visual metaphor. And, um, you know, lots of stuff I'd pick up about the performance or what they're going for, trying for. It kind of does require, I don't know, an, uh, not an art house education or an English lit degree or something, but it just requires a bigger swim in the pool than just a, a comedy sometimes. Now, having said that, there are plenty of shitty horror movies. There's ones that play down to their audience and are dumb and are poorly made and uh, don't execute whatever they were doing or are made by people who are profiteers or, or incompetent with their craft. I don't think Cronenberg, he had budget limitations, but he was a born filmmaker. And um, this is him kind of finding his way. Um, maybe, a f you know, 10, 15% unsuccessfully in this movie, but pound for pound, I'd put it up against blockers or something any day, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend them to the same people, but in terms of quality storytelling, right. there was probably going to be blockers. But, uh, but I enjoy blockers. Don't, I don't mean to bash blockers. Uh -huh. Yeah. I did. I, I I will say that I did feel the um, as absurd from a from an outsider's perspective as absurd as the entire premise is towards the towards the finale of the film. You did. I did experience the peril of okay, dude. You gotta. You know. You gotta get out of there. And then I do. I did sort of get the. I did sort of get the message. I guess is the, probably the best way I can put it that he wasn't going to get out of there, you know, that, that you know, that that's not the kind of movie I'm watching, like the, you know, right. that, you know, he's not, there's not going to be a hero moment at the last minute where he crosses over the bridge and blows up the bridge and then, you know, stops it from spreading. It's just, it's not that kind of a film. So, um, and there were twists and turns. Like I said, the concierge, when it turns out the concierge was trying to lure people into, you know, <laughs> that, was, there, that was good. Yeah, they yeah. were like, all right, that's, I Just get come it, back you know? here, make a phone call. Everything's yeah. fine. Welcome they, to our know, orgy. The, the, the other aspect of the body horror, especially for 1975, I think this movie is 75. Yeah. Is it when those, when those two unambiguously gay guys come out of the elevator, you and know, start eyeballing and, him. Yeah, and that's a that's a kind of a menace all to itself, right? Especially For if you think guy. of, well, if you think about nineteen seventy five straight mm -hmm. guy, you know, like yeah. like a nineteen like a a, a two thousand twenty, you know, straight guy is going to be like, guys, I'm not interested. Get the fuck away from me, you know. But in nineteen seventy five, it's a whole different kind of menace, you know. Right. So that that's a you know that that aspect is also played you know, very mildly, you know, very successfully. And then he, you know, he does it. There is a, the, the movie trope where he escaped. He, he feels he's temporarily escaped the danger by stepping into a, a, a even bigger horror, 
you know, which is not only a pedophile, but, uh, you know, an incestuous pedophile kind of situation. <laughs> so it's just, you know, the circumstances. Yeah, that, that, was, that was super creepy. That was yeah. just like, have you met my daughter? Yeah, and it's <laughs> like, like yeah. I gotta go. And then, and then right around there, as, a, as you know, as a sofa, you know, jockey, you know, me watching it, I'm like, time for you to go, man. You know, this... <laughs> Find the door. There's, there's not going to be a place for you to be able to ride this evening out. You know, you got <laughs> you got you got to get off that island. So I, I I was able to follow it. That's a. I was able I, I was able to understand. Whereas I probably didn't have the sophistication of the genre to understand some of the points that were being made. There were some things that I understood perfectly well. Then there's uh, the stuff that unfortunately gets in the way, you know, Vandal. Like, when um, when the guy threw up, I'm like, who throws up in the tub? There's oh, my a, God, same there's thing. There's a toilet right there. <laughs> you know, like, who, why would you throw up in the tub? Um, <laughs> just certain – and he gets up, and he's so because calm about Because it had this. to find a way to get to Barbara Steele. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and tub yeah, was and, the way to go. And, it, and, the, uh, fl- and, the, and the plumbing, flushing it down the toilet is just too complicated a thing to try to sell so naturally you would go well, in those two plumbing systems don't connect it's two different right, kinds right. of water so yes and you'd have to be yeah you'd have to be you to know that that's the other side <laughs> of it and then also like you know it's easier if you just you know throw it up off the the balcony and onto the oh, yeah. umbrella of an old lady you know that's <laughs> that just gets your problem solved right there right let's that gets the ball rolling right away so yeah, I will say that there's a big oogie factor to a lot of this and to the sexuality, too. There's nothing um, for, for a film with so much nudity and so much sex. It is it is not a turn on at all. No, that's true. Yeah, there's... Um, which is different, I think, from the, another movie we're going to talk about later um, where where there's there's at least some titillation here. This is um, a lot of people, you know, uh, if you look back on Crimes of the Future in Stereo, the two previous movies, Ronald Malazak stars in those. He's the guy who plays the concierge. And, um, you know, the sexuality in those is present, too. And it is very hard to read. And, I, you know, Lynn Lowry, who plays the nurse, uh, is, is uh, still with us. She lives here in L.A. She's constantly working. Um, she's a... a, a personal friend of mine. She's extremely cool. I tried to get her when nerves was looking like it was really going to get made to be in nerves as a tribute to shivers. She would have had a, had a part in nerves. Uh, when nerves never happened, I didn't get to really pull that off, but we're still in touch about maybe working together someday. She's still beautiful. And, uh, uh she's extremely, um, charming in that movie as well as the crazies and cat people and, uh, other movies she was in, in the seventies yeah. score score she's great in that the thing is for such a beautiful and sexy uh person there's nothing sexy in that movie really even when she's in the end and naked in the pool it's not sexual it's really threatening it's a it's oh a yeah weird, it's a weird yeah. way of pulling it off i don't know it's the slow motion that kind of herky-jerky slow motion that scene plays out in or maybe just everything you've seen before it you know that sex is in fact probably a bad idea you know well, what's so, so funny not- and, and to your point it's funny that the one time that she and her in particular her character is trying to be sexual and like coming on with the doctor in the office being like hey give me a kiss let's you know work's over let's you know let's go home let's you know and he's just like yeah i got stuff to do he's just got he's like completely shut down you know and she's just like it's like bouncing off a thing and then she's like He's like, ah, oh, I'm going to be out late. I got to go do this house call thing. I got to be, you know, and she's just like, well, just come over when you're done. And he's, he's just like, well, it's going to be really late. And he's like, 
just come yeah, over when you're like, done. We'll like, eat. We'll eat when you're done. You know. And she's like, she's inexplicably Hello? resistant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're I clearly see... already in a relationship. So I mean, but it's, it's yeah. Just, it was so just he's, kind of, he's already. It's just kind of funny that he's got like this, you know, as soon as when he's in business, he's in business, you know, that's, that's it. Yeah. And he's also a little past the honeymoon stage of, yeah, that, probably. of that relationship. <laughs> um, I would say personally, um, uh, my opinion of the film, and this is going to ruin it for everybody, you know, because when I, <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm not the film, but it, it everybody's going to roll their eyes when I say this. I think if they took out <laughs> the body horror aspect of it and just, left in this the um the the threat of the sexuality of it where you didn't have this kind of i don't mean this in a derogatory manner it didn't have this kind of goofy weird alien spore that was you know that every now and then just attack someone and burn them you know even though it lived you know um it lived inconspicuously inside other people and was able to motivate them. I think if it was just sex, um, it was, it was just this fever that, and you don't know who had it and who didn't have it without, you know, without all the other, the, the, the gore complex, I think it would have, to me, would have been way more disturbing. I think that, I think the gore aspect just grounds it so much that it's like, all right, you know, like Hassan, can you can you come with me to my next pitch meeting for nerves? Because that is the big difference between shivers and nerves. And that's why Paramount would never make shivers, but they would consider making nerves. Uh in nerves, um, it's a it's a hotel that people have been uh, 17 men and women have been sequestered in, and they've been given um a drug that wakes them up from comas. Uh, and uh, you don't know who's got the placebo, who was given a real drug, who just naturally woke up, but apparently humans are the only people that get comas. So you can't test a new coma revival drug on rats. The rats never get comas. So they actually have to do it on humans. So this is the second study, and you never really find out what happened in the first study, but it wasn't good. (laughs) (laughs) They've taken these 17 men and women, they've locked them up, they've injected them, they've got guards, it's run by the pharmaceutical company doing the test. Uh, and it's it's their experience as they're revived, uh, and what happens in it is very similar to what you see go down in shivers, except there's no parasite, because uh, they may or may not have it. And as a matter of fact, there's a big uh, uh, debate in it about whether it's a psychological experiment, and they've never really even been in comas because they can't recall the accident that caused their coma. Um, so uh, it's a thriller, and it's in two hours and two acts, and it's bloody and sexual, but it's. Uh, uh, doesn't have a parasite. So Hassan, I need you to come with me and say, Givers would have made ten hundred thousand million dollars if, if it didn't have the body horror. So, even, you know, even a person like me would, would be able to, <laughs> to 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 fork over his money over and over and over again I to am. watch this. Darren would be like, film. Hassan gets it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so a couple of uh, a couple of other fun tidbits about this. Uh, there's a there's a great oh, wait, wait wait wait. Oh. I didn't hate it, so let me just put that stamp on it. I didn't hate it. I'm happy for the experience, um, but I just don't get horror movies. That's all. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I must say, uh, just in the time that this podcast has been around, uh, Hassan has been uh, subjected to far more horror films uh, than I think he probably would, definitely than he would have normally, um, and, and not necessarily ones that he's he's really really enjoyed. But I didn't uh, know what I was signing on for. I will that, I will that, say that that 
no, no. I should be getting it, hazard pay. It's, it's, a, it's a the world is you know our guests oyster so to speak. No, I, I, that's the that's the the joy of it. So no, I, I appreciate you coming along for the ride, Hassan. No judgment here. I know a lot of find smart cool film fans such as yourself that uh that just are not hard guys it's cool i'm I, i'm not uh judging you at all i i feel i feel judged in in your your claims of not judging me <laughs> well that's on you that's I'm on you kidding. not darren <laughs> i know i'm internalizing because I'm, I'm also neurotic. And, and I've had a, a funny quote from David Cronenberg because apparently there a, a lot has been made over the years about the different, the shifting, like you said, Hassan, like how it burnt some people and didn't burn other people. And, you know, it was a contact thing. And it's like, he goes, and he has all shifting pathologies aside. He said, whether it's either intended, you know, the effects of the shifting pathologies are either intended or they're just his mistake. And he said, quite honestly, I don't need to explain them. It's my disease to play with. And if I decided to go that route, so be it. <laughs> Which I, again, just coupled with the other things that I've, you know, you said that there was a book that was that a book about Cronenberg or was it a bio? Um, it's Cronenberg on Cronenberg by Chris Radley from the nineties. So it goes up through naked lunch, I think, but, uh, I'll have to track down a copy of series of interviews. Very, very, uh, good. And you know, uh, it's part of a series. So there's one with Scorsese and one with Gilliam and, Oh, okay. It's good, good series. I want, I want to know how you get to the, um, how you, how you're able to develop that kind of attitude about like, look, you know, it, it, I, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I didn't, whatever, you know, like that's uh, to be an artist and to be able to, to, to lock your, you know, to, to have the confidence in yourself and not I, be I think, I think that, it. I think to be to that point, I think when you get to the point in, in filmmaking, when you're a director and you're, and you're, you're the one in charge of making those creative decisions, there's a, there's a point that you have to get past as far as being apologetic about your own work. So I think that there's a point at which as a director, you get to, to get to that level and you're just kind of like when people come at you and say, Whoa, you did this and this is a mistake here. And this is a mistake here. It's like, no, it it is what it is. You know, get, get over it. You know, I, I, there's some other, some funny stuff. I, apparently a magazine, there was a big magazine in Canada at the time called Saturday night that uh, they were quoted uh, in an article about this film when it came out, because this film was partially funded by, uh, the Canadian government, you know, part of the film grant system that they have up in Canada. And they had, and they didn't really have a lot of their film industry. Wasn't really developed at that time. This was really, really early in that, that, that time up there. And the, and the quote in the article was, if we need to make movies like this to have a Canadian film industry, then we probably shouldn't have a Canadian film industry. And the government was so scared away from funding his follow-up rabid uh, that he said it delayed his career by a year or two because of the problems he had, and they didn't want to fund him for make any more films. There was so much, there was so much backlash he received just even from the though, media uh, and film uh, and other stuff. Even though Shivers was the most profitable profitable film yes. the government ever funded. Yes, at that time it was the most profitable film ever uh, in, in Canadian funded film. I think that was uh, hysterical. That's pretty awesome. So <laughs> it was funny that you brought up uh, uh, Hassan the 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 nurse with the fork scene. So in that, in that scene, the guy attacking her, uh, because obviously for a lack of money and everything else, uh, the stunt man, stunt man, uh, attacking her was David Cronenberg. 
Um, mm-hmm. So in the shots yeah. from the back. So when she stabbed him, he had this padding on his shoulder that was supposed to where the fork was supposed to go in. And Shivki, she missed the pad and actually stabbed him in the shoulder. Uh, a scar to which this day he still carries. So <laughs> price of well, that's a right. with a with a with a cooking fork. Then ain't the, gonna go the, away. The, the price of his the, the price of his art was a was a fork <laughs> in the shoulder. I, ironically, uh, one of when you, we were talking about uh, and I'd forget I failed to mention what we were watching. Um, um, I forget what you call that segment. I'm so bad suffering stuff, from consumption. But, yeah, consumption. Uh, Star Trek Discovery. Um, Cronenberg is on Discovery as a as an agent of uh, Section Thirty One. No way, you know? wow. yeah. So it's kind of it's just kind of I just wanted to mention that since we're talking oh, about it because the next done, episode's uh, coming on tonight. He's done yeah. a little acting. He's, in, he's done uh, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah he's, he's in several films, but and you know he always plays it off. I just knew a guy. I had a friend. They wanted me. <laughs> I'm not that good kind of thing. It's like uh, Steven Spielberg being in Blues Brothers. It's just as like, ah, it's just a lark, you know. But it's actually not bad. So when he It's not there. a lark when you're the scariest thing in a movie like Nightbreed. Correct. You know, when, you, when you are the scariest, when you're, you're scarier than a goddamn monster. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, but that's that's kind of the point of that movie. Right. Is that the real but monsters I don't, But I don't think... I don't think Cronenberg was stretching himself to play that role. That's, that's the thing. In, uh, <laughs> Friday the 13th movie, isn't he in like Jason X or something? I have this big yes. memory. Yeah. Appears as a, he plays the doctor. He plays Dr. Dr. Weller or something like that in Jason X. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's been around the block, you know, he's uh, not made a movie in a long time. He wrote a novel, but he's older now, but he, uh, the last movie he did was maps uh, of the stars, which was a pretty shocking and pretty good movie. Um, and Cosmo- he said, semi-retired is he semi-retired now yeah yeah he he said that when maps of the stars came out after that shoot um he came out and said that at that point that was probably going to be his last film he had he didn't have uh what he felt the energy to really to go the way all out that he had to make films previously and he felt that 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 was kind of you know, and, and he obviously he's still going to do stuff like he'll, he'll pop up in, in, in acting gigs and, you know, writing, obviously. But I think that we probably have seen his last uh, his last directing effort. Well, he's welcome to direct nerves and have that be the bookend that he should. Oh, well, how, how fun would that, that be? That would be amazing. He could shoot it in 18 days. That's the budget. So he'd be. <laughs> <laughs> well, 15 days is what he shot Shivers in. So that'd be a really nice bookend. Right. <laughs> that is amazing. Think of that. The budget for Nerves was 2.5, 2.2, something like that when they, it was drawn up. So it's a. Even, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a drop in the bucket. That's not actually. I was trying to get another thing at the same time. Summer of Ghosts was seven million, so this one seemed like a bargain compared to Summer of Ghosts. So you know, we were trying to go for maybe that Rob Rob Zombie budget range, you know, because he did uh, right. had um, um, Devil's Rejects was seven million or something. Or maybe it was a House of a Thousand Corpses was seven. Wow, seven million. Jeez. Yeah, he knows how to stretch a dollar. That guy, he's amazing yeah. things. But uh, but yeah, so uh, so that was David Cronenberg Shivers. From there, I guess we should probably take a little trip. Well, you know where that trip leads to. I do, Latham. And that trip is down the tubes. And again, the internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. <laughs> you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of that, you'd think it'd get old, but... 
Nah. It no, started old. Not it started old, and it never, it's no. not getting better. It's a, it's a little game we play, uh, Darren, <laughs> leading into our, our, our segment where we talk about the posters. All right, let's do it. So we'll, uh, we'll start with the posters for Shivers, which uh, I have to say, first of all, when this film came was put out in the U.S., it was put out under a different name. It was put out uh, under the name They Come From Within. Yeah, that's what made it kind of hard to find. Which which the... which Cronenberg wasn't happy with, and and he's admittedly he wasn't he wasn't over overjoyed with the name Shivers either. He just said that he couldn't come up with anything better, so he just left it as Shivers. Even though the film was originally shot under the title Orgy of the Blood Parasites, which is kind of funny and, and, and a little catchy. <laughs> That would bring people to the theater. Yeah. Well, you know, well now they wouldn't even think twice about releasing a movie called that. They would just be like, "Sure, why not?" Yeah. Uh, so we'll start off with this first, the Canadian poster. Pretty good. Yeah, it's just it's you know, and this this image, this piece of artwork is is was used in a lot of the um, the foreign posters as well. They just kind of translated the text on it and just used it as is or with some very slight overpainting, which we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's not, it's, you know, it's not necessarily a, a shot directly from the film, but you know, it certainly actually doesn't get the idea across at all. Um, other than the fact that it's a dead woman in a tub. That's why uh, I like it. <laughs> not because it's a dead woman in a tub, but you know, Th- yeah. that font for the title with the uh, cut lines is very brilliant and it plays through many. Yeah. Years. That's an excellent font. And I also miss the days when they used to have those catchphrases that were more than just a line, like for The Invisible Man, which I think is a great movie, but a terrible poster. There's, um, I think, one little line, you know, he's behind you or something like that. But yes. the, uh, here, you know, there's a whole paragraph of text. <laughs> Pretty much a tag, a tag graph. I like the being terrified is just the beginning. <laughs> Which doesn't really in space, sense. no one can hear you scream. That's right. <laughs> well, that was I. I didn't bring that up, but Cronenberg. Uh, Cronenberg thinks that Dan O'Bannon stole uh, a portion of the uh, the parasite uh, yeah. stuff for for Alien. I thought that was kind of amusing. Yeah. Um, so next is uh, another Canadian. Uh, this was for the for the French speaking provinces. Uh, Frisson. But uh, essentially the same poster. Yes, a little better shadowing there. I like that dark uh, background on the tiles. But yes, yeah, I agree. Um, so next was the uh, the U.S. title with the or the U.S. poster with the alt title. Uh, they come from within, or they came from within. Beyond the power of priest or science, well, that covers it all. That's right. <laughs> In other words, you're not going to stop it. <laughs> no, it's a good post exorcist tagline there. Sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, next is the Australian poster, which is a, uh, a a little bit more cleaned up, but essentially the same one as the uh, the initial Canadian poster. Yep, probably the best version of that image and poster put together. Better marriage of colors. Yeah, and then well, color you get next with the UK quad. Okay, yeah. first prize. Now there's a spotlight on her. Well, it was actually there before. If you go back, that spotlight's okay. been on her. Well, it's more prominent in this one. Yeah. Uh, and the next was a uh, a, uh, a UK quad after Rabbit had come out. And it was a dub- double feature. 
putting the two together. In fact, this may have been when Shivers was brought to the UK, um, when after Rabbit came out, and they they were able to pair them up and sell them to distributors together. Now, I think that's a great image from Rabbit, but that is oh, yeah. not my favorite poster of Rabbit. Uh, there's others that are illustrated that I like a little better, but obviously that scene in Rabbit and the representation of it in that poster is really like what the hell it's it's uh, yeah it's it grabs you <laughs> uh so next is an interesting one from france <laughs> a little bit <laughs> uh, wow wow yes. looks like, uh, uh, who's that guy good. who uh, tried to make jordawaski it looks like a jordawaski post yeah, yeah it does <laughs> it's gonna take a couple of days to shake all this imagery off from this Yodoro jodorowsky's frisson <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. So then next was for the 84 uh, French re-release, which is a much more 80s-style oh, attack yeah. on the poster. Now, we didn't even talk about that in, uh, beginning scene in the film when we were talking about Sherry. Right. And it's weird that they put it on the poster because I do think that is probably one of the hardest scenes to watch in all the film. And it seems strange that they would put it here, except maybe there's a naked person. But it's... Um, uh, you know, the fact that you think he's attacking and rape or raping her, and then you realize in hindsight, he was actually trying to stop the spread of the virus. Right. Uh, it's, it's a, but still, just to watch him doing that is so hardcore. It's a weird choice for the movie, but this is the only poster that has Barbara Steele on here, which is interesting because she was a star. Yeah. Uh, this is not in the film that much. She is uh, the European big ticket star of the film. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the weird thing about that scene, too, is it's weird. You're watching it and he's sort of attacking her and she's sort of defending herself, but she doesn't she doesn't really seem to fight all that much. You know, considering considering what was the finale of the or the outcome of the situation, you know, it was it was a weird it was a weird just the, the whole the combat sequence in, in and of itself was strange because she just didn't really seem to be fighting all that hard. And I don't know if it was because she was under the influence of, you know, these things or, or what the deal was, but it just, it was a very strange thing to, you know, because while we were watching it, we were like, well, why isn't she fighting back more if this guy is actually trying to kill her? Because like you said, you first, you kind of don't know, but yeah. Uh, so next is uh, an Italian uh, poster, which is a variation on the French uh, uh, sort of blood monster ball thing attacking <laughs> that was a very big parasite <laughs> yes yeah that's this is more of the blob a variety of uh of of the world here, so yeah. <laughs> and the next is the other italian poster which is I, I like that one yeah it's it's creepy the fact that the 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 weird sort of insecty bug thing they drew at the top with the long kind of globular bottom on it is is actually creepier than the the parasite in the movie which is yeah, just sort yeah. of this piece of flank steak that moves around <laughs> they should have uh the water should have been rippling um spherically outward so that to sell that because it seems like she's in the tub but then they 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 tore the like you know they did it yeah. yeah they did the image just to to you know I think that's kind of neat, unique. I kind of like that. I know, but I'm saying it would have sold better if the if the water was rippling it circularly, well, um, outward towards the edges, so you know it's water, and then you get the you get the, 
you get the ripped uh, or the tear, the breakthrough aspect of the the creature on the other side right. sells it more. Uh, next is the is the finished poster, which is again the original image, and this is this is like I said, this that most of the foreign posters were done this way, where they took the original art and just put their own language uh, breakdowns over the top. Yeah. Uh, next is the Spanish VHS box, which is a yeah, completely a repainted version of the original artwork. I like this one. It looks like a paperback novel or something. Yeah. I, do, I do like whenever anybody, particularly somebody with such overriding authorship on their material, it says David Cronenberg shivers. Um, right. Like, John Carpenter's the thing, you know, I, 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 I actually usually try to negotiate that into my work. So you'll see a lot of my, um, uh, particularly the battery film text collection of screenplays or the under the table poster. It says Darren Callahan's over there. And it's not just pure ego. I just, I just grew up with it and I'm just nostalgic. It's, it's something that, and, then, and from, from the Carpenter standpoint, that's something he started off with, with doing on his films because uh, uh, John Ford used to get that on his films and so he saw that back in the days of those 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 westerns from the from the 40s and 50s and that really stuck out to him that the director's name was like right there above the title and and that's that's the reason he started doing that early in his career uh so next is the danish uh vhs packaging all barber steel all the time uh completely weird uh bubble creature yeah i mean that is it's like Stay puffed marshmallow man <laughs> crafted with Stay. something from I don't know Leviathan. Galaxy of yeah, Leviathan. There you go with the big Leviathan and Stay puffed marshmallow man. There you go. There you go. It is very Galaxy of Terror though. I do. <laughs> yeah. And then Nicholas Tudor in the back there, just you know, pondering the we bubble monster. We didn't talk about him, but I actually think he is the best actor in that movie. That guy. I just had a hard time watching him and not think Ross from Friends. He does look like Ross. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and that same with him using the water pick is extremely yes. <laughs> sure. But I, I do think his performance is, is actually the most sustained good performance in the film. Well, he's so key to setting everything up, especially in that in that whole first that whole first act. He's so important to like building everything. Agreed. Uh, so this was the next is the the U.S. Blu-ray when it finally came out with the under the Vestron tag, which they've 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 added the little the little creepies crawling up the sides, which I think is kind of unnecessary. Hair now because like- now, now it reminds me of the of the film poster for um, Slither, the James Gunn film. Yeah, yeah. So which was just Night of the Creeps done again. Yeah, but so much better. I'm not a fan of that tagline, though, because I, I like that there is one, but being terrified is just the beginning. doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> you're terrified, and then what? You know, I guess it's meant to be... That's a- just it. Then you're beyond terrified. Yeah, level one, yeah. There's yeah. like 10 levels after that. <laughs> so I mean, would you say this, this is terrifying at a level, what, two, three, somewhere in there? Uh, and then the next is a the UK Blu-ray, the Arrow the Arrow video release. This definitely makes it look like a zombie movie. It really does. Yeah, if you yeah if you a little did, bit. <laughs> if you did, if you didn't know better, especially with like the masses outside. Yeah, it's just. 
Reminds so then, me of Prince of Darkness a little bit, which also is, oh, gives yeah. away the last scene of the film. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? So next is uh, the first of three images by uh, a guy who goes under the name Silver Ferox Design. And uh, he did three of these posters, one under the Shivers name, and then two more under the uh, They Come From Within name. I mean, that's um, a great 70s type poster right there. First yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely my favorite, and not just because Lynn looks beautiful there, but it's that that font is killer. The placement yeah. of the text is nice and clean. That upside down green with the right side pinkish yep. red is is brilliant. The border is even cool, and so the, as a design, for me, this is the best designed poster. Yeah, and then he did uh, the next one was. Uh, the the first they came from within poster, which is kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is good if you know the movie. If not, you're yeah, like, if you don't know the movie. It's like, okay, I'm not seeing this violent shit. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's just. It, I mean, that could that could be an elephant trunk coming out of the drain there. You know, I mean, you know, and it kind of looks it kind of looks like Happy Birthday to Me, which is a famous poster. Oh yeah. Out. I getting a kebab, uh, a shish That's kebab. right. That's you right. Know, reminded me of that, and not a not in a great way. I do like the uh, uh, the eyes. The, the yes, it looks, it looks kind of comical with the mouth. So I, it yeah, that's it. true. Yeah, there's there's something vaguely clownish about it. Uh, and then next, this is uh, this does not not belie the film at all. Um, people people who would have who have who would have gone to see this film would have been a little surprised. I think. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, wait, is this a Woody Allen film? <laughs> Last Tango in Montreal. By the way, uh, Susan Petrie, there, the woman with the contact struggle, uh, she um, she's not in a lot of other films. She's m mostly yeah. in uh, sex films, um, and I think she's uh, she's actually very good for just an adult film actress in this movie. Um, and the same with Rabbit with Marilyn Chambers. I think she's really good in that too. So he had a way of directing. Um, uh, adult film actors to better performances. It was really good. It was, uh, it was, a, it was a funny story I found about her not being able to cry on, 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 on command. So Cronenberg uh, kept onions around for when he needed her to tear up. And so he would like take onions and like hold them in, under her eyes and rub them under her eyes. And uh, for the scene with, uh, with her and Barbara Steele, he had run out of onions. So, um, he asked her, you know, she basically said, well, why don't you slap me? And then you can, you know, I'll, I'll tear up. So he slapped her and it didn't, it didn't really work. So he slapped her a few times. And so when she, she, you know, she got him basically to the point where she had tears in her eyes and they, they went over to shoot the scene with Barbara and Barbara saw that her face was all red, like, like where clearly he had smacked her. And, uh, she went over and apparently grabbed Cronenberg by the collar, uh, lifting him up and started yelling at him uh, that this was not the proper way to treat actresses or anyone else for that matter. And uh, he then expl he quickly explained himself and apparently they all had a big laugh about it. But um, <laughs> I thought that the story, the fact that Barbara Steele went over and picked Cronenberg up by his collar was quite amusing. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty funny. He's tall. Yeah. Um, and the next was then finally we have a piece by Zlatko Parmakovsky, which I thought was a, a cool little uh, little design, a minimalist design. 
I mean, you know, it could be used for human centipede too. No. If, if that if that was an ass there, yeah, maybe. Well, but, you know, no. still same thing going on. Yeah, I like it. I I do I do the that the silhouettes are apartment windows. I you know I like the you know I like the whole the, he he kind of brings all the pieces together. Cool. Nice yeah. done. I know, I know. You don't like anything. Fair enough. Uh, next, we do a little thing uh, that we like to call the martini, which is uh, where we kind of talk about uh, how we would, what we, we think talk about of making the, martinis. Where we talk about making martinis. It has nothing uh, to do with the, the show. Where we talk about the um, the primary film director's body of work uh, and how we feel about that body of work. Now, as I've said, uh, David Cronenberg, I'm a big fan. I've been a fan for a long time. Uh, I've seen most of them, uh, at least most of the ones that, that, that I think would be definitely near the top of the list anyway. Uh, it's interesting, a couple of interesting things about David Cronenberg. He's done basically 21 features, not counting those first two no-budget art films that he did. He has never had a film gross more than $35 million in domestic box office in the U.S. Is that the fly? Huh? Is that the fly? Uh, yes. Yes. You know, final, final world box office on the fly, I think, was something like 56 total worldwide. But, I mean, yeah, that's, that's his highest grossing uh, American release, which is, you know, Easy. a travesty as far as I'm concerned. Um, I am a... Up until the release, the the remake of it that came out, uh, he had still made the most the the most successful, I thought, adaptation of a Stephen King film or Stephen King novel to film uh, to date, which was his version of the Dead Zone, which is again still, and I saw it not too long ago, still amazing, an unbelievable cast, uh, filled Never with thought. filled with great uh, with great character actors, you know, beyond. I mean. Christopher Walken's Johnny Smith is is phenomenal, and if you've and if you've ever read the book, I mean, I mean, he he nails it. It's it's a really great adaptation. Okay. And and his remake of I mean, his his remake of The Fly is you know it speaks for itself. I mean, that's it's it's a brilliantly done uh a, 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 you know version. It's funny. Uh, I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes right now, and it's like the highest rated critic score is The Fly. And the highest rated um, audience score is Eastern Promises and The Fly. So those two are kind of flip-flops for, for, for audience versus critic. I would probably say The Fly overall is his best film, but it's not my favorite Cronenberg film. Uh, I really like Eastern Promises too. That's another one I really, really enjoy. But uh, my favorite Cronenberg film will probably always be Dead Ringers. I think that there it is. It achieves such a. I mean, and Jeremy Irons is a key part of this, but it achieve, it drives you to a point where there's such a level of discomfort uh, watching that movie, and, and especially leading up to the the climax of it, and and it's just they do just such an amazing job that it, that it, that movie has always stood out to me. Um, I'm really looking forward to the new TV show that they're doing with uh, where they flip flopped uh, and Rachel Weiss is playing twin gynecologists, which will be super interesting to see how they 
carry that through to a an ongoing series. But um, yeah, because yeah. might be a little much. Yeah, how does that stretch? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but it's it's going to have some it's going to have some some crazy crazy visuals in it if they stick to that story. Yeah, I'm going to go on a limb and say I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> the original uh, Captain Janeway was in that movie, right? It was Bujold, right? Catherine Bujold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jean-Vierre Bujold. Yeah, she was the original Captain Catherine Janeway for Voyager. Oh, she quit. Okay. Two days in, <laughs> she was yeah. like, "I'm out of here." <laughs> like this is definitely going to be the worst Star Trek. So I'm out. Uh, so, Lathan, what would you say is yours? The Fly? Yeah, The Fly, hands down. Um, I've seen probably ten of his films. I think I said so. Yeah. Uh, Fly would be at the top. The second place would be. I think a history of violence is overrated. I remember that came out and everyone's like, this is just brilliant. And I was like, eh, you know, it's, it's decent. I didn't love it. Um, sec- yeah. I, after that, I'd probably go with Videodrome. I like Videodrome a lot. That movie's just bonkers. So, um, okay. that'd be mine. Yeah. I, I uh, Hassan? History of Violence. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, really? just to spite Latham. Uh, That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> for once so i actually do very much like a history of violence especially the last uh the last act um uh but i kind of would have to say um nightbreed is my favorite cronenberg movie which is not yeah a well he did as an he actor did, did, yeah as an actor as, as just okay. as, as an entity generally um but <laughs> it's the fly or um, history of violence. Okay. okay. All right. And Nightbreed. Because he's because he he haunted my dreams after that. <laughs> Zipper face. Yeah. <laughs> and he he was scarier with the mask off. You know, yeah, he's... like just just and that just like that kind of laid back calm that he had. You know, that casual. <laughs> and I saw an interview with him. And I'm like, it's the, he, he wasn't even acting. It's the same guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he uh, – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Darren. Uh, your, your top yeah. few. Uh, well, let me just say everyone I've seen, I, I, I've liked for some reason or another. I haven't seen Spider or M. Butterfly. Um, I can tell you the, the couple that I think the least of. One is Crash. I don't think Crash is a very good film. And mm. I, I actually – have a bone to pick with a history of violence. I, I went in there pretty pumped for it and maybe I got burned, but I really love the dilemma of, Hey, is this the guy? Is this the guy we think this is the guy? This is the guy. I think because of this heroic deed, he must be the guy. And him to keep saying, I'm not the guy makes the first hour really interesting. But then an hour in he's like, yeah, I'm the guy. You know, the whole movie, the whole movie goes downhill for me. I'm like, oh, fuck. I, it's more interesting to know, uh, maybe save that for the end, maybe. Yeah. Um, now that I know I can kill everybody, it's not that interesting to me. Yeah. But anyway, I, I don't actually, when you mention that, I don't really think that much of most of the movie. I like the last act, you know, but that's after all the little gimmicks and red herrings have been played. And I just mm-hmm. like the interaction between him and uh, and William Ed Hurt. Harris. Oh. oh, that is good. That is good. Which is yeah, Ed Harris doesn't really last long enough for the yeah. I know, I mean, it was, but with the the that entire sequence, I really 
did enjoy, but the movie in and of itself is just kind of. I think it's kind of all over the place. You know, yeah. he's kind of changed as a director. He's not the same guy, but he's not a bad director. Like I, I liked uh, uh, Dangerous Mind and Cosmopolis pretty well, but it's not the heyday. If I look at the heyday films, um, I would rank The Brood as his, as his pound for pound, scene for scene, best film, best looking, best mm. acting, best uh, concept. Uh, I also have a real soft spot for Scanners because I think Scanners, although it's kind of loose, it probably could lose a few, and uh, the lead actor is certainly replaceable. Um, I thought um, <laughs> I thought I thought it was a, a good idea, and I, I liked it. Um, and it's got some great moments in it. Uh, then I'd probably go for Dead Zone, which is real solid. And I, I do like The Fly. I, it's, I don't find The Fly that entertaining, but I find it really good. But it's a little tough for me. Maybe you guys feel that way about Shivers. For some reason, I can watch Shivers once a year or so. I, I don't do that with The Fly. Maybe once every five years, I watch The Fly. So, Interesting. Uh, well, I also do really like Stereo and Crimes of the Future. Those are bonus discs on his uh, bonus features on his Criterion collection reissues. Oh. There, was a, there was a period of time where Cronenberg uh, was really forgotten or in danger of being forgotten. In the 2000s, almost nothing was on DVD, nothing of quality yeah. presentation. And then Criterion picked up a few titles and then a few others got picked up. And now they're being uh, revisited and represented. And of course, here in LA, there's been film fest about it. And, and he, he feels much more valid now than he did 10 years ago, where there's a little black period for him where I think he was in danger of, you know, kind of his body of work being forgotten. So, um, but I think, you know, the, he's really got a pretty good batting average, like John Carpenter or George Romero. They just kind of have a good thing going and yeah there's mistakes and slips but there's no dive into the toilet well carpenter kind of had that but uh um yeah generally it's uh uh it's a pretty respectable body of work and i i really like almost everything in it and visit it from time to time even though like i don't like the last half of video drone very much and i have complaints with crash it certainly doesn't erase a brilliant career Crash is a, it's a movie I've not gone back to. I saw it when it came out and then I was just like, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say taken aback, but I was the, the overall creep factor was, was pretty good on it. I haven't gone back and watched it recently, so I couldn't, I couldn't speak to it again. Cause it's been oh, got a long time since it came out now, but um, I just, I, I like all the actors that are in it. Obviously I'm a big fan of Cronenberg and my memories of the film are fond. So um without actually seeing it, I would expect that I would still enjoy it. Maybe just um, leave that one alone, huh? I just like, there's a, there's a scene in there where, you know, where they're, one of the characters is attempting to make love to a scar on the back of a woman's leg. And it's yep. just, you know, that's the just, one I remember too. I don't need to see that. Again. <laughs> I also don't think it's a very well-made film. It feels, <laughs> feels very episodic and, and not very well, uh, constructed so i know he stands by it and he's he's proud of it but not only in terms of content it bothers me i just don't think it's very good <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> so all right uh well that uh usually marks uh the end of our show uh so uh darren thank you very much for coming on uh uh appreciate you taking the time to, to hang out with us and talk about movies. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely, we'll talk down the road about other things and uh, we'll definitely, we'll definitely have you back. Yeah, we need you another so pairing, Darren. 
Yeah, well, thank you so much for indulging the pair of perversion I foisted upon you. You were all there. <laughs> right. That was a great idea. It was smart. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to talk films anytime, and you guys have a great show. I really love it, thank and you. I think uh, your audience loves it too. And um, I'm excited to keep listening to further episodes. I've enjoyed the, all the ones I have heard. Wow. Well, thank, thank, thanks a lot. I definitely appreciate that. I praise, Karen. Thank you. So, uh, thanks to Fusley and Music. Uh, please check out our website at uh, cinementalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss on our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcast. You can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Hassan Godwin, Lathan Conger III, Darren Callahan, and myself, we say thank you and so much for listening. As always, in the words of our friend and body horror specialist Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And that's how you finish. And Hassan turns off his light. <laughs> <laughs>